There's an abundance of hope in the desert, but it's a dry hope. Hey everybody, uh, here we are at the actual House of Mercy, House of Mercy World Headquarters. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to be here. Debbie and I, together for the first time in six months, months. can you believe yeah. this, we're here? Um, and... Uh, yeah, we're here. We're in the same room, but it's okay because she got had COVID and she got you got tested for the antibodies, right? right you have and the I antibodies. have the antibodies. Yeah. So she's not uh, contagious, or she can't get it, and I'm just irresponsible. So uh, <laughs> we're I think we're fine. No, of course we're all we are good. Um, COVID. We're, uh, we're COVID careful people. COVID careful people. Also, maybe you might have heard some music uh, out there. We are here at this uh, Midway Relief event that uh, House of Mercy and Bethlehem Lutheran Church is sponsoring. Um, it's uh, we're collecting more food because the need is uh, continues. A uh, lot of food insecurity out there still, so uh, collecting donations. But also we uh, have just two great mural collectives here um, to and uh, working on all the everything that's not brick or glass. It's amazing. It They're looks painting. great. It's yeah. just, it's beautiful. It's cool. Yeah. You should come by. If you don't see it before, um, uh, if you don't see it before the Feast of Jonah, this is definitely going to be right here when we have the Feast of Jonah on September twentieth. It's the uh, autumnal equinox. That's right. Yep. Five p.m. It's going to be great. Music, essays around the themes of you know every Jonah themes of going down, going in the darkness the night's getting longer the day's getting shorter yeah it's i love that we have that time where we you know consciously reflect on that and it's like okay we're going down now and this is going to be um this is going to be outside obviously mm -hmm. and uh yeah it will be music and we're going to have you know 
ways of social distancing, spots marked off so nobody gets too close. Uh, it's going to be a bring your own body and blood of Christ. And we might have some feasting, like is it a picnic, bring your own picnic out Yeah, there? we're going to figure that out yeah. and say for sure. But seeing this event out here today, it seems so doable and exciting. Yeah, yeah. doable and exciting. It's perfect out here. Yeah. Can't and, wait to see you September yeah. 20th. I hope you can come. Because, yeah, I mean, if it's a day like today, boy, it's perfect out today. It's a... Uh, uh, Extra sunny, I guess you'd call it. Uh, you know, it's maybe a little bit hot. Yeah, ninety some degrees, a ninety percent humidity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but by well, September twentieth, yeah. it's not going to be that hot. It'll I be bet. great. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, let's see what. Uh, oh, Sonia Olson's preaching today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Sonia Olson is preaching now. This sermon was originally preached here at the House of Mercy in February. Um, I was out of town. I haven't heard it, but it did not get recorded. So Sonia came by and she recorded it. And so we are playing it here for you today. I know. I'm looking forward to hearing that sermon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know, I know these are hard times for everyone and it's a hard time financially for a lot of us. And it's a hard time for House of Mercy financially. So if you're not a regular giver to the church and you've enjoyed these podcasts and you have a little extra money... Well, we would love it if you could donate that to House of Mercy, and you can do that by going to our website and hit the donate button. That's right. And those of you who are continuing to give and uh, pledge, we're so grateful. So grateful. Thank you. Um, You know, also another way you can give if you want, uh, maybe you've heard that we uh, moved all the pews out uh, of their places in the sanctuary. And uh, the floors have been refinished. That was something that the uh, Bethlehem and the Midway really wanted done. So then we are going to move those pews back into place. But this time, we are going to have them at a regulation 36 uh, inches apart. So no more doing the sideways shuffle down the pews. There's kneelers. I don't even know if you know that. You could, in plenty of room, pull those kneelers out, kneel down and pray. Um, that is, of course, when we can get back in the building. But we do need help moving them. It's, uh, it's hard work. Yeah, and Russell and, yeah. and Joe did most of the moving of them this time. So, yeah. If yeah, you can it was help, hard. Yeah. yeah, it was hard. Um, but also, uh, we do need people to drill holes and screw screws in, too, which oh, isn't so as hard. Yeah. There's heavy manual labor, yeah. and then there's a, what? I don't know. Uh, Intellectual? No. Um, it's more of a, a tolerance of... Uh, Tedium? Yeah, repetitive. <laughs> uh, yeah. More but, hey, yeah. But fun. I'm sure. Yeah, it's like crawling on your stomach and screwing things into the ground. Oh, that sounds so fun. I know, yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, so, yeah, when you get back, it'll be a whole new house of mercy. Yeah, whole new house of mercy. <laughs> this time with uh, zing, extra zing. And space to sit. And space to sit, Neil, yep. Okay, well, this is the house of mercy. And welcome, welcome to, to it. it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, though I'm sure you're somehow in every space every day, we pray that you might make us capable of recognizing your presence now. Be subtle if you must, but help us feel loved. Assure us that we are capable of love. Love that stretches out beyond the expected boundaries. Help us know that filled with your mercy, 
we can extend inexhaustible mercy into the world, even if it isn't really welling up inside of us at this moment. Even if we're tired, fill us with love. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Won't you please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 25, God Put a Rainbow in the Cloud. When God shut Noah in the grand old ark, he put a rainbow in the cloud. When the thunders rolled and the sky was dark, Join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond here our prayer. God of mercy, we keep making mistakes, an infinite variety of them. We say the wrong thing, hurt people unintentionally, or perhaps occasionally intentionally with our words, our actions, our privileged places, or simply by being who we are. Forgive us for what we have done and what we have left undone. And may your mercy overflow in such a way that we can have mercy on ourselves as well and on those who hurt us. We pray for parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends, married people, political enemies, If we knew your mercy deeply, we might be able to see differently, love better, help us. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we trust that you love this planet, the seemingly infinite variety of creatures, ancient trees, vineyards, all of it, as much as we do, more almost certainly. We pray then, for rain that might protect the ancient forest from burning, for changes in human direction that might keep us from destroying more, 
for an abrupt recognition amongst people who make policies that the interconnection between the health of the natural world, humans, and all species make the loss of one thing a loss for all things. Help us get it together so we do not lose this world. Or if it's not quite getting it all together, help us make even small steps in the right, the loving, the just direction. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for life and for being so full of life that whatever it all means, we know it extends beyond death, that you never stop making life out of death, out of deathiness, out of the most hopeless seeming places, you resurrect creatively. Help us trust you as a loving creator of life so that we don't need to proceed in fear, even though of course sometimes we'll be afraid. May your merciful, loving, compassionate life seep into our consciousness, our bodies, some part of us so that we live out of trust more than fear. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray that you will be near the brokenhearted. Bring healing, comfort, compassionate love to those suffering from every kind of pain, injustice, brokenness, loneliness. We pray for any kind of healing you can provide. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us remember what we're grateful for and bring our confessions to you as we pause for silence. You love us unconditionally and you forgive us all of our sin. May we live more and more in the mercy. Amen. The scripture reading for today is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the, bur the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the, my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Judaism, emptiness can lead to holiness. From the Empty Chair by Rabbi Matt Cutler. To open, I would like to share with you the words of Neil Diamond. LA's fine, the sun shines most of the time, and the feeling is lay back. Palm trees grow and rents are low, but you know, I keep thinking about making my way back. Well, I'm New York City born and raised, but nowadays I'm lost between two shores. LA's fine, but it ain't home. New York's home, but it ain't mine no more. I am, I said to no one there, and no one heard at all, not even the chair. I am, I cried. I am, said I, and I am lost, and I can't even say why, leaving me lonely still. Did you ever read about a frog who dreamed of being a king and then became one? Well, except for the names and a few other changes, if you talk about me, the story is the same one. But I've got an emptiness deep inside, and I've tried, but it won't let me go. And I'm not a man who likes to swear, but I've never cared for the sound of being alone. I am, I said, to no one there, and no one heard at all, not even the chair. I am, I cried. I am, said I, and I am lost, and I can't even say why, leaving me lonely still. It is a very dramatic story, the Exodus story. There is this new Pharaoh in Egypt, and he is worried about the strength of the children of Israel, and so he enslaves them. He forces them to build storehouses to hold his riches. But the children of Israel are swelling with this fecund fertility and multiply no matter what the Pharaoh does. So then he summons the midwives, Shifra and Puah, to kill every Hebrew boy as soon as he is born, but they refuse. 
So Pharaoh orders his people to find all the Hebrew boys and throw them into the Nile River. Meanwhile, Jochebed gives birth to a son and conceals the son from Pharaoh's people for three months. The baby boy does end up in the Nile, but placed in a floating cradle and sent down the river. The boy's sister, Miriam, hides in the brush to make sure the boy is safe. Pharaoh's daughter finds the boy, and the birth mother is actually hired to be the wet nurse. The boy is taken into the palace and raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. The, boys, the boy grows up, murders a guy, flees, and ends up tending sheep in the desert. Later, there is a talking bush that burns and plagues. Everywhere, there are plagues of frogs, wild beasts, lice, boils, fire, ice rivers of blood, darkness, and more babies die at the stroke of midnight. An entire sea parts, and the children of Israel wander the desert for 40 years with fiery serpents and whatnot. But there you have it. That's pretty much it. And in the center of the story is Moses. Moses is drawn out as the hero, Moses as the leader, Moses as the instrument of a mighty God. Moses, rather than being drowned in the Nile, is drawn out of the water and eventually leads his people out of captivity. But for the reading today, Moses is post-murder, has fled, and is married and tending his father-in-law's sheep. It is here, at this point in the story, when Moses meets the burning bush. From within the flames, he hears the voice of God. God identifies God's self by what Moses already knows of God. God says, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. This repetition of naming God as the God of the patriarchs, of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, this repetition opens the Amidah. The Amidah, or the standing prayer, is a central prayer of Jewish liturgy. Blessed are you, Lord our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the great mighty and awesome God, exalted God, who bestows bountiful kindness, who creates all things, who remembers the piety of the patriarchs, and who, in love, brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name. In preparing for this sermon, I read that more liberal synagogues will include the matriarchs and the Amidah. The prayer calls out to the God of our mothers, the God of Sarah, the God of Rebecca, the God of Rachel, the God of Leah. The God of our mothers creates all things, bestows kindness, and in love brings redemption, which seems refreshing when the focus that I've always seen growing up has been on Moses the murderer, or yes, I will bind and sacrifice my son Abraham, or she's not my wife, she's my sister, but actually, she's really my wife. Just don't kill me, Isaac. And last but not least, I must be first. So let's fool my blind father into giving me my brother's birthright, Jacob. Or maybe that is exactly why we pray to the God of such patriarchs. We pray to seek out and ask just who is this God? When I agreed to fill in for Debbie today, 
She lent me Wes Howard Brooks' book, Come Out, My People, God's Call Out of Empire in the Bible and Beyond. She bookmarked the section where he writes about Moses and the burning bush. The section is titled, Birthing Israel, the People of Yahweh. Howard Brook outlines how the story of Moses is an alternative to the story told by the powerful. He writes that this pattern of an alternative story is found throughout history and in many cultures and religions. It is a story born when, quote, a powerful empire uses its control of written media to generate a story of how things are that legitimizes a hierarchical structure in which wealth and power flow upward toward the elite. In response, a sacred encounter with the creator God leads the victims of empire to generate a counter story rooted in the beginning that empowers their own liberation and the formation of an alternative community. End quote. The Moses story is one of a people on the outside, having an encounter with the divine happening on the outside in the wilderness far from the powerful. And Wes Howard Brook names Moses as the hero of Israel's sacred story of origin. He does mention that women start the ball rolling. He names, well, actually, he doesn't name Shifra and Pua, but mentions them by their profession. So he mentions the two midwives, Pharaoh's daughter and Moses' own mother. And I would include Miriam, the sister of Moses, as the first resistors of Pharaoh. He goes on to say, collectively, these resistors embody the combination of forces that makes a movement of social revolution possible. For a counter-narrative that will hereafter focus primarily on male actors, it is an astounding and memorable way to begin. Wes Howard Brook, tell me more about these women. But the very next line is, once saved, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court. These women are not mentioned again. We had such a deep, diverse group of women, and all we are left with is a man who acts and thinks like so many patriarchs that have come before. And for a counter-narrative, this reads as a very familiar story. So I turned to Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg, a Jewish theologian Russell introduced me to in her book, The Particulars of Rapture, Reflections on, on Exodus. Zornberg also writes about an alternative narrative birthed from a sacred encounter with the creator God. When Pharaoh orders Shifra and Pua to immediately kill every he Hebrew boy after birth, they refuse because they feared God. And Zornberg writes that this was the first time this particular phrase is used in the Torah. They were not God-fearing midwives, as in an adjective. Shifra and Pua feared God, as in a verb. Abraham, after attempting to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, was described as being God-fearing. Adjective. But Shifra and Pua feared God. They enacted that God-fearing thing, which was an active, mobilizing verb. They faced a choice between life and death and chose life. Zornberg writes, Disobedience to Pharaoh becomes more than, a, than merely a refusal to kill. It becomes a total dedication to nourishing life. When Pharaoh finds out about this and confronts the midwives, they explain to him, but what could we do? 
These women are lively and vigorous. Before we arrive, they give birth. These women are alive. A typical response to a pharaoh's edict is silent compliance. But Shifra and Pua speak. Gottlieb says that these are the words, the first words of resistance in an alternative realm to Pharaoh's Egyptian realm. And this is sketched out in their words. In this Hebrew women's world, life and birth happen irrepressibly. So the life of Moses was spared by Shifra and Pua, placed in the river by his mother, watched by his sister Miriam, and taken in by the Pharaoh's daughter. These women begin the revolution. This revolution continues as Moses becomes a man and stands before a bush enveloped in flames that is not consumed by fire. A voice from within the bush calls out to Moses, tells him to take off his sandals, for this is holy ground. The voice says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Russ Howard Brooke writes that this is not just any bush, but the bush. Only here and once in Deuteronomy is this particular word for bush found in the Bible. It is marked as a unique moment not to be repeated or memorialized with a shrine or pilgrimage site. There can be no burning bush gift shop. While it is true that the exact location of this encounter is not known, there is indeed a spot located within St. Catherine's Monastery in South Sinai, Egypt, that is called the Chapel of the Burning Bush. The chapel is built atop the roots of what is to believed to be the bush. This is from the monastery's website, and it reads, A few feet away from the chapel is the reputed bush itself, a rare species of the rose family called the Rubus Sanctus. The species is edemic to Sinai and extremely long-lived, a fact that lends scientific credence to the site. Rubus Sanctus is Latin for sacred bramble. The plant has no central stem, but produces long, sprawling branches that have spiked thorns bending backwards. The branches can grow to be five to six feet in length. The blooms are pale to dark pink and are followed by blackberries. It is known for its medical properties, particularly the healing of wounds. In addition to being able to view the bush, the Monastery of St. Catherine also offers a guest house in which you can stay. It received four out of five stars on TripAdvisor. And I'm not sure if there is a gift shop, but there is a restaurant that offers free parking. Another interesting fact, the Chapel of the Burning Bush is the birthplace of a famous icon, Theotokos of the Unburnt Bush, or the Mother of God as the Unburnt Bush. It is believed that the image of Mary, the mother of Jesus, was etched into the rock near the sacred bramble. It shows Mary holding the Christ child, surrounded by a bush enveloped in flames. You can see many similar painted icons in Russia. The Eastern Orthodox Church sees the burning bush as a type for Mary. The flames are seen as God's holy presence. And just as the bush was not consumed by the presence of God, Mary was not consumed while carrying God's holiness within her body. 
Local Russian tradition tells the story of a fire which was enveloping several wooden buildings. An old woman stood in the midst of the fire in front of her house, holding an icon of the unburnt bush. A witness happened to see her there and marveled at her faith. The next day, he returned to the spot and was astonished to see the old woman's home completely unscathed by the fire, while all the other houses around it were destroyed. The mother of God, through her icon of the unburnt bush, is now regarded as the protector of homes from fire. But I haven't even gotten to the really good part. When Moses asks the burning bush, when he asks God's holiness, the God of our father, the God of our mother, when he asks perhaps the mother of God for their name, the response is I am. A direct translation from the Hebrew would read, I shall become who I am becoming. That is my name. You shall say to Israel, I shall become, has sent me to you. A lot is carried in a name. To name something in the Bible is to define it, to give it an identity. If we look at our fathers, Abraham means father of many. Isaac means laughing. Jacob means supplanter. As a whole, one might describe them as the father of many is laughing as he takes the rights of another. Now let's look at our mothers. Sarah means powerful presence. Rebecca means captivating. Rachel means you as a female shape. And Leah means weary. So the captivating and powerful presence of the mother of the lamb is weary. Aren't we all a bit weary? The wanderness, the the wilderness we are wandering is vast and wide and all-consuming and never-ending. The idea of home or peace or rest seems unattainable. It can feel so empty. And yet, here we have God naming God's self as I shall become who I am becoming. Many names for God are descriptive. Elohim speaks of God's sense of justice. El Shaddai speaks of God's tolerance. Yahweh speaks of God's sense of compassion. Adjectives. But I shall become who I am becoming is an ongoing, active, dynamic verb. The Midrash tells us that when the people ask Moses what is the name of God that sends him, when they cry out for the name of God during their distress, God says to Moses, Tell the children my name is I am becoming. Where am I? I am with you. I am being. I am existence. I am reality. I am becoming in the breath of every laboring mother. I am becoming in the fevered groans of the whipped slave. I am becoming in the wails of grieving fathers. I am becoming in the laughter of the child who was spared. I am becoming in the whispered prayers of the pilgrim. I am becoming in the silent, empty chair at the table. I am there with you, suffering with you, rejoicing with you. I am becoming your redemption. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he was delivered to death, 
Jesus took bread and broke it and gave thanks for it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. We invite you to share communion during the following hymn. Please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 14, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. God's word he has given How beautiful heaven must be How beautiful heaven must be Sweet home of the happy and free Fair haven of rest for the weary How beautiful heaven must be Angels so sweetly are singing Up there by the beautiful sea Sweet chords from their gold harps are ringing How beautiful heaven must be How beautiful heaven must be Sweet home of the happy and free their haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful heaven must be. And now may the love of God surround you, transform you even just a little bit as you go about your day. May you feel the mercy and be merciful and go in peace. Amen.